We are currently speaking about prayer. I trust that you're ready for the word. God wants to speak to us again this morning, um, as he always does. And of course, a very major part of uh, Sunday morning services, besides uh, you know, us praising and worshiping God and allowing him to touch us in return and us bringing our tithe and our offering and talking about some stuff that are happening and different things. We approach the time of what the Bible calls the reading and the preaching of the word. And the Bible says that God's word goes forth. Um, and uh, when it goes forth, we've got to receive it. So I encourage you now to make room in your heart because God wants to speak to us this morning. Uh, last Sunday in the morning, we started with a new series of messages entitled, Lord, Teach Us How to Pray. Uh, for some of you, some of this material is uh, not entirely new. There might be new angles, new aspects to it. Uh, so for you, I encourage you to still stay tuned in uh, because God always wants us to go to new levels. And sometimes uh, if we take a ho-hum approach to the preaching of the Word, we're going to miss some things. Um, and have you remember the preaching that was taking place during the ICFM convention uh, where Bobby Andian taught us about the four types of soil that the seed is sown in, that we need to, you know, we need to take care that we're receiving the Word. And uh, if there's anything that I say that you already know, then don't say, oh, I know that already. Say, amen. All right, add your agreement to it. And uh, if there's something new and fresh, and if it stirs your heart and challenges you a little bit, then that's a good thing. God's Word will always do that. Hallelujah. So let's just pray right now and trust God to speak to us. Father, this morning again, Lord, as we come, Lord, to this time of the preaching, the declaration of your Word, we thank you, Father, that faith comes. We thank you, Lord, that understanding comes. We thank you, Father, that there is an illumination taking place in our heart. Lord God, and we expect, Father, for revelation to come. We expect, Lord, for us to go to a new level in our prayer life. We expect, Lord, to have more answered prayer, more breakthrough in response to our prayers, uh, Father. And we thank you, Lord God, that, uh, Lord, there's always new levels and new places. And we look to you this morning, Father, for this illumination. We look to the true teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit, uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and to enlighten the eyes of understanding at this time. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you said that as we doers of the word and not hearers only, we will be blessed. So we commit now to be doers and not hearers only in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. The subtitle of this morning's message is Various Kinds of Prayers and Associated Rules. I'm going to just briefly recap some things that we've already covered so far uh, and then to go on to new uh, new, uh, covering new material, so to speak. Um, one of the first statements, we made some opening statements there last Sunday. And by the way, for some of you that have missed that, you really want to go back uh, because last week was foundational to this week and to coming weeks. And uh, do not be flippant about the word and think, oh, I'll just turn up and you miss a few and turn up again and everything. And you can't make your Christianity work. All right. So it's like knuckling down. God is speaking. Uh, it's like a family that dishes up. Uh, you know, where mum does the cooking, dishes up uh, dinner uh, week after week, and then if you eat, keep on missing dinners and not eat, then, uh, you know, you're going to go weak, and God wants us to grow strong and not miss any mealtime. It's mealtime right now. God's feeding us uh, through the Word of God, and so let's stay alert, and if you missed anything, go back to it, because it could be absolutely foundational and vital to unlock things in your life. So we've said that the strength of our personal Christianity uh, rises or falls largely on the strength of our prayer life. Uh, the Word of God is absolutely important, but it is also important to pray and that we have a solid and active prayer life. Uh, it's amazing, but uh, whatever I study at any given time, I open the book 
and practically on every page I can see what we're studying about. Uh, you know, if you're studying about the Holy Spirit, then you see the Holy Spirit everywhere. If you're studying about faith, you see faith everywhere. Studying our prayers, you see prayer everywhere. Uh, and uh, so an active prayer life is uh, waiting for every believer. Um, I've got a quote here by John Wesley. Um, John and Charles Wesley, the old-time revivalist. Uh, John became the founder of the Methodist denomination. And uh, by the way, the Methodist, Methodist denominations of the day were the radicals of the day. And they were the ones on the cutting edge of the day. And, uh, you know, we always need to be sure that we stay on the cutting edge, not having been there once and then slip away. But John basically said this. He said, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. He can do nothing for humanity unless somebody asks him to do it. And I think that's powerful. Uh, uh, that really stirs us up to pray. And sometimes the notion of, you know, God knows what's to be done. Uh, uh, who are we to tell him what to do is a wrong notion. It means we don't understand. God is expecting us to pray. It has to do with who has got the authority in the earth. We are the ones, the body of Christ, have got the authority in the earth. We are inviting God's intervention into people's lives and into situations. So there you are. Uh, he said that, uh, he said that uh, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life. So if we unlimit our prayer life, then God's unlimited. Uh, the opening scripture that we had there was Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says that while Jesus uh, was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And we noted from that the Christians don't automatically know how to pray. That Jesus showed and he taught his disciples how to pray. He demonstrated it, and then he taught them by giving words and examples and so forth. And we said that similarly, Christians today have to, uh, have to be shown and have to be taught how to pray. And we are teaching on prayer right now, and we are showing how to pray in prayer meetings and so forth, that anybody uh, that is a believer can get in on that and watch other pr people pray and get in. You know, some things are more caught than they are taught. Uh, so I, I've said I really want everybody in the life of this church to be a part of a prayer meeting somewhere. And it's your business to find out when the prayer meetings are on and where it is so that you can be there. And uh, I'm sensing that in my, in my spirit that uh, is a result of this study now, prayer in this church will go to a new level. And when prayer goes to a new level, God is unlimited more and more, and we're going to see more of God uh, in our lives and more of God's uh, power released. To teach, we say it is to provide instruction, to demonstrate. I mentioned five basic Bible rules about prayer that I quickly want to repeat, and then we'll move on from there. We said, number one, that we pray to the Father in heaven, and this is our heavenly Father. Um, sometimes Christians are con confused. They know that there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they don't know whom to pray to. Well, we say it officially, all prayers directed to the Father. We say it number two, to pray in Jesus' name. Um, number three, we say that we need to pray according to God's will. God is never obliged uh, to answer our prayer that is prayed contrary to or apart from His will. And we've said that God's word is His will. So the more we know God's word, uh, the more we're able to pray in line with His will. And I made a statement there that sometimes people say that God works in mysterious ways. That is actually not true. It is only mysterious to people who don't know the Word. For those people that have learned the Word of God, we know that God is actually quite predictable, if I can say that. Now, God's not in a box, uh, but God is predictable. He will always operate in line with His Word. And if we know His Word, God does not work mysteriously. God simply works as He's expected to respond 
uh, you know, to our faith and to our prayers. Number four, we said that each time we pray, we pray the word of God. Um, we said that one of the best ways of starting our prayers is, Father, we thank you that you said, and then we, we call the promise back to God, and that becomes the basis of our faith, and then we will have no trouble receiving from God. And number five, we said that we forgive all people. Um, unforgiveness hinders people's prayers, um, and uh, messes up their spiritual life. So every believer needs to make a real effort to, to get to a place where they can say that they're able to love everybody uh, and not harbor any unforgiveness towards anybody. Now this morning we are going to uh, move on to the uh, various kinds of prayers or the various types of prayers. Now it's a little bit later on in, th in this study I would like to cover various st styles of prayers. But right now I want to talk about the kinds of prayers. Um, and here in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, just to establish that there is such a thing as different types or different kinds of prayers, Paul the Apostle said, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, he said, Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So always keep on praying. So prayer should not be an optional thing. We, that's what we do. That's what Christians do. Uh, dog, bar uh, dog barks, Christians pray. A cow moves, Christians pray. All right, That's just what we are supposed to do. We are Christians, we pray. Um, and notice here he says that, he says with all kinds of prayers and requests. So evidently there are various kinds of prayers. Uh, and we say that different situations and needs require the use of different kinds of prayers. This is important for us to understand. And each particular type or kind of prayer has a certain set of rules attached to it. And it's a little bit like uh, playing different types of sports. If you were to mix up all the sports rules uh, and try to get players together on, on one field uh, or on one court and each place a different rule, then it's just not going to work. And so it is with the different types of prayer. We need to know which kind of rules are associated with which kind of prayer and not mix and mingle them up. Um, that is very important. And then we said here that is in God's Word translation, which is again a modern translation, he says, use every kind of prayer and request there is. So if I'm to use every kind of prayer, I need to know what the different kinds of prayers are. All right, so basically we are simply saying, guys, this is valid for us to learn that. Don't say, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just you know, say my prayers and, uh, you know, make me feel good. It's not about feeling good. It's about getting breakthrough and answers to our prayers. All right? And it's not about even praying for ourselves. You might say, well, I've got everything I need. Well, pray for somebody else. Uh, that's called intercession. Uh, Peter talked about that before when we pray for people in our prayer care and share card. It's intercession, which is a particular type of prayer. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get to that as well. So the first prayer, in fact, I want to cover two prayers today. So I don't want to rush this process. I want to take my time. And uh, I want to cover two prayers today. But right here, we've got uh, six, seven prayers listed. And we might add to that list. That is not necessarily an, an exhaustive type of list. In fact, I'm finding that as I'm reading after and studying after different uh, people, that some people use different terminology uh, and, and so forth uh, in regards to these different kinds of prayers, but I'm not expecting this list 
to change particularly, but I just want to give you a preview of what we're talking about. This is all commercial for the following weeks, all right? Uh, it's like when you watch a movie and uh, they say, buy this, buy that, uh, the commercial. So this is commercial. I'll be talking, uh, number one, the prayer of thanksgiving. Number two, the prayer of dedication and consecration. That's what we'll be covering today. In weeks to come, we'll talk about, number three, the prayer of faith. Number four, the prayer of agreement. Number five, the prayer of intercession. Number six, the prayer of binding and loosing. And number seven, praying in tongues. Um, and uh, as I said, it's not an exhaustive list. We might add one or two other things that we sort of uh, work out as we go along. And uh, my path is not always entirely clear when I do studies. I just, you know, study a message at a time and then just, you know, new stuff that God wants us to get into and we will be open to do so. But this morning, I would like to talk to you about the prayer of thanksgiving. It sounds simple enough, and actually it is, but it is hugely important and hugely significant for every believer. Let me read to you from First um, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Paul the Apostle speaking, he says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, number one, two, prayers, number three, intercession, and number four, thanksgiving be made for everyone. So right there, there's four types of prayers. Uh, the second one, when he talks about requests, which is petitioning, uh, then he talks about prayers. Uh, uh, prayers is, is a general word for prayer, that we go to a place of prayer and we communicate with God. Then intercession, which is praying for others, and we'll be covering that in future sessions. And then he says thanksgiving. So he singles out thanksgiving as an actual prayer. Um, he says that it be made for everyone for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peace, uh, peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So what that means is that uh, the prayer of thanksgiving is to accompany every other type of prayer. Uh, it is listed as a separate prayer, but it is to accompany every other type of prayer. Um, so what that means is that each time when I come into the presence of God, one of the first things that I would like to do is I would like to thank God for one thing or other. Um, and uh, you will find that the Apostle Paul uh, said things like, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It says, each time I think of you, I thank my God for you. So Paul started his prayers with, I thank you, Father. Um, and, and, and so in other words, thanksgiving. And, and, and uh, it's a good thing to start our prayers with that, and it's a good thing to end our prayers with thanksgiving. Why do we end it with thanksgiving? Because we're thanking God for the answer. Uh, so, in other words, uh, thanksgiving is to be like uh, sandwiching all other prayers, where the breads, the thanksgiving, and the filling in the middle is whatever that type of prayer that you're praying at that particular time. In fact, if you get around... Uh, uh, folk in our church and in our prayer meetings, we are big on Thanksgiving. You you will hear thank you, thank you. You hear it over and over and over. You might think, well, that's a bit repetitive, isn't it? Absolutely. You can never pray this prayer too often because it's always good to thank God. And it's always good to put that into uh, um, uh, every uh, uh, session or every t uh, place, every type of prayer there is. He says, for kings and for all those in authority. And of course, that's telling us to pray for leaders, which is very, very important. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, uh, and these are not new scriptures, these are very foundational to prayer. It says, He be anxious for nothing, um, 
Another translation says, don't fret. All right? So as, as Christians, we are called to not worry. So if you're worrying this morning, I say, stop it. <laughs> okay? Jesus says, do not worry. You cannot add any height to your statue. You can't, you know, you can't change anything by worrying, so why worry? The Christian, uh, the human body, the human mind and our emotions are not created to worry. So if we worry, something is going to go wrong somewhere. All right? It's a bit like putting in people worry about this, that, and the other, and then they get high blood pressure, and then this, that, and the other. It's a bit like running too much electricity through a particular type of cable that's not designed for it, and somewhere you'll get a burst, somewhere you get something busted up. So stop worrying uh, and pray instead. That's what the message is here. <laughs> it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Everybody say everything. People say, oh, you don't want to pray about that. It's just a little thing. Um, well, he says everything. People say, I'm not going to pray about that. That's too big. There's no prayer too little and no prayer too big for God. All right. Um, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Prayer is again in the general sense that we are praying, that we are communicating to God. And then supplication has to do with making requests and making petition of somebody who is superior to us. So it's a little bit like a subject coming to the king to make a request about intervention in some area that they're struggling in. Uh, you know, Israel, when they were under kings, uh, the kings were also the ones who sorted out uh, judicial issues. Uh, they had lower-level courts, but when they couldn't handle things, uh, two women um, came to Solomon one day uh, and said, uh, they said, uh, King, uh, we are, both of us are mothers. Uh, one of our babies got killed, and now this woman stole my baby. And some of you remember the story. So they came to the king and they made a petition to the king in regards to sorting this issue out. So that's what this issue or this uh, um, supplication deal means here. But what I'm really headed for is again this thing here with Thanksgiving. So if I have a, if I have a, a meal of say steak with mashed potato, it means that everything is on the same plate. It's with mashed potato. And if I have a prayer with thanksgiving, I'm putting that together. All right? It'll always be there. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, some, some of you mums, you're telling your kids, eat your greens, you know, eat your, uh, your silver beet and everything. Eat it. And, and like for us as, as Christians, have, have that in there. Have that thanksgiving in there. You might say it's monotonous. You might say it's repetitive. But don't worry about that. It's prayer with thanksgiving. Uh, and it is listed as a separate type of prayer. It says, let your requests be made known to God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. We are simply just bringing chapter and verse so that what we're saying is actually verifiable uh, in the word. It's not just somebody's opinion because somebody likes to pray that way, but it is actually the word of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. <clears throat> in the Amplified Translation, uh, Paul the Apostle says, We continually give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as we are praying for you. So evidently there is this deal going on where Paul the Apostle and the other guy said, Father, we thank you for the saints in Ephesus. We thank you for the church in Corinth. And we, th we pray for them, Father, and we commend them to you and to the word of your grace and, and, and on from there. So that thanking... That thanking God is a huge thing. In fact, I went through the New Testament 
uh, and I haven't got the chapter and verse all here, but I went through the New Testament and I found out where Paul practically started out uh, every letter that he wrote to each one of these churches or individuals. And at the front end, he says, I thank my God for you, or I thank God because of you, or I thank God at every mention of you in prayer. So that was just a deal. In fact, many times at the end of prayers, he rounded things off again. So it's a huge deal. So, so in other words, if Paul is praying that way, and Jesus prayed that way, what makes us think that we should be praying differently? Have you remember when Jesus stood before the tomb with Lazarus being buried and uh, being, having been dead for some five days, uh, and his sister said to him, Lord, by now he stinketh. Um, here's Jesus standing. He's about to perform a miracle. And what, what's the first thing that he said? He groaned in his spirit, and then he says, My Father, I thank you that you always hear me. So thanksgiving was the first thing that Jesus uh, said. So, so, so what that tells us is we don't come into God's presence complaining. We don't just bursting in say, Lord, we have a need. Please fix it. Uh, we come with thanksgiving. It's the established way in the Old Testament that they came into God's presence with thanksgiving. They came into his courts with praise. It's in Psalm 100 and, uh, Psalm 100 and Psalm 103. All right. So, so that's an established way that we offer thanksgiving um, at the beginning and at the end of every prayer. What is thanksgiving? Uh, it comes from the Greek word eucharista, which means words of gratitude uh, or expressions of thanks. Now, I could be thankful to you for what you uh, what you have done if you have done something, but unless I express it. It's not expressed. And so it is. We could be thankful in our heart, but we need to express it, and we do so with words that we speak. And of course, it goes beyond that, but right now we're speaking about prayer, so that's what we are focusing on. Words of gratitude, um, words of gratefulness. Um, it's a good thing. I made up my, 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 my mind very early on in the Christian life that if salvation is really true, and it is, and if Jesus really has saved me, and he has, then I ought to be thankful all the days of my life. There ought not to be one single day where I'm not thankful. There ought not to be one single day where I'm ticked off with God or somehow feeling that He's His fate. When not single day, not a single moment that I will always, always, always maintain thankfulness. All right. Now, some days it might be easier than other days, but uh, you know we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by feelings. Uh, just because I might not feel good one day doesn't mean that I'm not saved. I'm still saved. I'm still a child of God. Uh, and then sometimes when we come into God's presence, when I came this morning, I didn't feel so good. But 15, 20 minutes into prayer meeting, I felt great. I felt like I could rip out trees. Uh, David said I could run through a troop and leap over a wall like I'm invincible now, bulletproof, like, wow, this is awesome. You know, and the power of God turned up. And so uh, it's just sometimes where we're at in ourselves. Uh, but thankfulness is to be expressed all the time. Can I suggest that if this, if thankfulness is not a part of your life, if you embrace it this morning in response to the Word of God, it'll revolutionize not only your prayer life, but it'll revolutionize your life. It'll take you to an entirely new level. Um, Thanksgiving ensures, number one, a heart of gratitude. Um, and every Christian ought to have a heart of gratitude. Now, I know that sometimes things are not everything that they could be or should be in, in regards to our present situation. But if you look back and remind yourself of what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago and that you're saved, 
and that you're now heaven bound and he's dealt with everything that he ever needs to deal with, uh, everything has been provided for, then gratitude uh, is really not difficult. Gratitude goes back to a revelation. Uh, and also, Jesus says to he, um, uh, what was the words there? He says, he who is forgiven much is, uh, somebody help me, uh, what's that scripture? He who is forgiven much is, uh, anyway, we'll uh, verify that a bit later on. I'm just a bit unclear on that uh, particular passage. He who forgives is much forgiven, loves much. And so in other words, our response to God, if we know that we're forgiven, and by the way, we've all forgiven much. There's no saint that's ever been born. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's just good to have a revelation that God's forgiven us and thankfulness in response to that. So number one, a heart of gratitude. Number, number two, a heart filled with faith. We need to realize that thanksgiving confirms the presence of faith. If I have no thanksgiving in my life, I probably have no faith in my heart either. Uh, because faith and thanksgiving are partners. The two work together. All right, They go hand in hand. Um, and faith is seen and heard in people's lives. And most often it's, it's seen and heard through thanksgiving when they give thanks. And, and it lets us know that faith is operating in our lives. Number three, it ensures an anticipation of answers and breakthrough in response to our prayers. As I say, we do not pray just to make ourselves feel good, just to offload on God, even though, you know, we might offload on God. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for He cares for you. When do we do that? In prayer. We pray to God and say, Lord, I give you the care, the concern of this situation, of this problem, of, of my kids, of my spouse, of everything that bothers and troubles me. I roll my care over on you. So we offload, but in other situations, uh, we're absolutely expecting God's intervention uh, into our circumstances and situations, and prayer is an invitation for God to get involved in our lives. Um, and, uh, and we need God's involvement, alright? So that's the prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, just to repeat again, the prayer of thanksgiving should sandwich every other type of prayer Praying it at the beginning and at the end of each prayer session uh, so that we're just basically confirming that, yes, God has heard us. Yes, we've prayed in accordance with God's will. Yes, we're expecting a breakthrough here. Yes, we're expecting an answer. And by the way, Father, we want to thank you for that in Jesus' name. All right, prayer of thanksgiving. Very simple, but very profound and hugely important. Number two, I want to talk to you this morning uh, for the remaining time about the prayer of dedication and consecration. Um, this is a huge one. Uh, it is as important today as when it was first uh, written in the Bible and when it was the whole concept was first established. Uh, but somehow, uh, over the years, uh, in the body of Christ, and I'm not talking uh, in every situation, but there's been uh, sometimes an, an overemphasis of what God can do for us uh, rather than what God expects us to do for Him and having our lives surrendered to Him. And this is where the prayer of uh, dedication and consecration comes in. It has to do with God's will for our lives and our submission to it. And by the way, submission is not a dirty word. Uh, the place of submission in God is a place of blessing. It is a place of protection. It is a place of things working out. And sometimes by struggling on in our own strength and trying to do it in our own strength, things don't work out so well. So uh, the written word of God reveals the general will of God for our lives. Um, 
What's the general will of God? Well, for every person it's salvation. God's already told us that He wants all men saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all men filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. He wants all men to live a life of, of holiness and of righteousness. He wants all men to be a part of a local church. He wants all, all believers uh, uh, to, you know, to be a part of a house, to serve. And th this is all the general will of God. He wants all men, all people healed. He um, wants everybody to experience peace. This is all the revealed will of God written in the Word of God, the general will of God. All right. Now, the prayer of dedication and consecration helps, helps us to find the specific will of God for our lives. It's where should I go to church? Which career should I choose? Uh, by the way, I wouldn't get too stuck up on one single thing that, you know, uh, God's will is not like a monotrack. Uh, you know the trains that run on a single, on a single uh, a track? Uh, God's tr uh, will is a bit like a railway track where you've got a left and a right railway track and the will of God, there's some room for movement. Somebody says, oh, uh, I, I really, uh, uh, really want God to show me the, the person that he wants me to marry. And, and God says, well, you choose. Uh, God will bring people before you, but, but you choose. But there might be times when God will say, well, if you choose that one, you're going to have quite a bit of trouble. But if you're going to choose this one, things are going to work out. So sometimes things are not as locked in place as what we might think it is, that there's only one person that became Mary and nobody else, because if that were true, and one person makes a mistake around the world, it throws everybody else out. How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, so you choose, but choose wisely. And pray about it and say, Lord, show me where is, uh, where is the, 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 the right kind of, uh, of man, the right kind of woman for me. God's already told us that we need to choose believers, that he does not want us to be unequally yoked. The unequally yoked is the general will of God. Uh, but then the specific will of God, God is able to lead us and, 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 and uh, we submit to that. So which career? Uh, God might say, well, again, you choose. Uh, I don't think that God has chosen a particular profession for every single Christian. Um, what that would mean is that if people got born again, they would immediately have to change profession because chances are they've picked the wrong profession uh, when, before they got saved. So God's not that stuck up and God's not stuck in a, in a rut or hasn't got everything completely locked down in terms of, of his will for our lives. There's room to move. Remember, there's a left and a right railway track and we can move within that, but God does not want us to go outside of that. Um, and God knows God can certainly lead us. If a young person is trying to scope out life for themselves and the career and everything, God can certainly lead that person in the right direction in, in regards to you know, the best choice of, of career and, and, and path for them, study path based on their abilities and their aptitudes and, and, and so forth. Uh, but it is not locked down into a single uh, thing. But then in, in regards to location, Lord, where do you want me to be? What's your, what's your will? Uh, you, you want me to be in church, but which church do I go to? That's then the specific will of God. Which area of service, Lord, do you want me to be involved in? Sometimes people say, well, I'll only do this and nothing else. Uh, uh, the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Most often, we end up starting services in an area that we're not necessarily, it's not particularly our, our first or our primary choice, but we do it because it needs to be done. And then God is able to lead us on from there. Sometimes people run around in a circle for years on end, God, show me what you want me to do. Just get started somewhere. It is easier, you know, they tell us, uh, captains of ships, they say that if a, if a, if a big ship is, is 
parked somewhere in the harbor there. They can't move it about uh, un until they start the motor and get this thing moving. When the ship moves, then they're able to steer it. And God is able to steer us much better when we are moving uh, rather than always being in limbo and always uh, or having our minds already made up. When we're praying this prayer, it's a good idea to get into neutral. Uh, rather than saying to God, Lord, I've made up my mind. I want you to rubber stamp my plan. I want you to bless it. Uh, which, by the way, God has never said he would. God said he will only bless his will. He will only bless those things that are within the railway tracks of his will. Uh, if anything is outside of that, God has not committed himself to, to, uh, uh, to bless that. So it's good to get into neutral and say, Lord, this might be my preference, but I'm asking for your will for my life, and I'm willing and ready to surrender to that. So I guess, number one, the prayer of dedication and consecration helps us, A, to find the specific will of God for our lives, and number B, surrender to God's specific will and purpose for our lives. The word dedication or the word consecration is an Old Testament word. Uh, and it basically means to be set apart for a sacred use. When God told Moses to establish a priesthood, which Aaron was to be the high priest and his boys were meant to be the priests, and the whole tribe of, uh, of the Levites were supposed to be the temple workers and everything. That was God's specific will for their lives. And God says, I want you to bring Aaron up. I want you to make some nice clothes for him. Um, by the way, preachers ought to have nice clothes. All right? God says to Moses, put him into nice clothes and put some, some nice things on him and everything. And then God says, and I want you to then anoint him. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, I want you to put some blood on him so they had to kill some animals. Uh, they were to put blood on him on, on his big toes, on his thumbs, so that his walk and his work was all holy. Uh, it was all set apart for a special and a sacred use. And when we are uh, praying this prayer, we are basically saying, Lord, I recognize that I have not been created for common or for vile use, but I'm made and I'm born again for a sacred use. And Lord, I want to submit to you, Will, for my life and whatever you call me to do, that's what I will do. Um, the prayer of dedication and consecration is the only prayer where we use, or the only kind of prayer where we use the words, if it is your will, Lord. Uh, and we're going to come back to that again, but this is a, a major rule dealing with this type of prayer that is not applicable in any other prayer. If you try to pray the prayer of faith for healing, for provision and say, Lord, if it is your will, could you provide this or could you heal me? You've just canceled out your prayer when you said, if it is your will. Because the prayer of faith means that faith, having faith means we know the will of God. That's where faith comes from. If we know the will of God, that's faith. And if we don't know the will of God, then we can speak words, but it's not going to affect anything. Uh, and if we say, if it is your will, we've just canceled out uh, that prayer. Uh, also, this prayer here, the prayer of uh, of uh, dedication and consecration can be prayed uh, over and over. And in particular, in a time of decision-making, we should pray it again and again and again so that we're not suddenly coming up with our own preference. Oh, I'll just do this because that feels the best or that's what I want to do. I'll just you know, marry him or I'll just choose that or I'll just go over here and something. We say, Lord, uh, it's your will that we want to have happen. So all other kinds of prayers... We should know the will of God. In all other kinds of prayers, we're endeavoring to change situations and circumstances. But in the prayer of dedication and consecration, we seek to change our heart 
so we can discern and submit to the will of God. All right, so, so you know, we come to crossroads in our lives at various times. Uh, and um, one thing that I found is that when I first got born again, I didn't really realize the full extent of what it means that I've been bought with a price and that I'm no longer my own. I thought, wow, it's so good to have got rid of all that guilt in my life and that I'm and now, you know, I'm going to heaven and, and then suddenly God puts his finger in areas on my life and God says, I want that. And I said, Lord, it's all yours. God said, no, it's not. You said it was, but uh, you're doing your own thing over here. And God puts his finger on an area and God says, I want that or I want that out of your life. I no longer want that in your life. And I want you to now shift and I want you to change from here to there. And that's the time when the prayer of dedication and consecration comes in where we are verbally de demonstrating and saying to God, Lord, I submit to your will. If that's what it means to be set apart for sacred use. One of the things in the Old Testament, Aaron and his boys, Aaron the high priest and the priests, all the utensils, Everything was to be anointed um, and had blood sprinkled over it, which meant it is now for sacred use only. Uh, inside the temple, there were tables, there were utensils there, there were shovels and different things. The boys couldn't just say, oh, let's take this home and use it to cut up our own bread at home. God, God says, no, it's for sacred use, totally and utterly for sacred use. And he says when, when Aaron is dressed up in his high priestly robe, um, and he says, uh, he says, he says, you are, you, are, you are set apart, and for your time in this place, he says, you're here to serve God. You, don't, you touch no dead bodies. You don't go outside and do your own thing. He says, you're here to serve God. You're set apart for holy and a sacred use. All the shovels, all the pans, all the, all the different bits of utensils, everything was sprinkled with blood and everything was anointed with oil. The blood speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ. That if you're born again, you've been sprinkled with blood and you've been washed by the blood. And the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life means that you're dedicated and set apart for sacred use. We have no business getting involved in common and vile uh, activity. Uh, we are set apart. And so as I said, when I first got born again, I didn't realize the full extent of this deal. And uh, when time came along for me to cut ties with, uh, with uh, the employment that I was in, and God says, I want you to leave that, and I want you to go into what we call full-time ministry. I know that sometimes terminology fails us a bit in regards to how do you explain that. It basically meant that I had, for me, I had to leave secular employment and get into, into uh, gospel work, into church work, and so forth. Well, that was a major deal at the time. It's like, you know, leaving the, the security of a, of a well-paying job that I had at the time and a reasonably promising career that uh, had sort of done reasonably well for me. Uh, I tell you, I prayed this prayer for, <laughs> for, for some time and went back to it again and again and again and it wouldn't let up. I knew that I, that was my specific will of God. And Vanessa and I obviously having worked together, we prayed together and we laid down our lives before the Lord again and, and, and so forth and said, Lord, if that's what you want, we'll do it. And, uh, but, you know, in the middle of it all, there's pressure. It's like, how, how, how is everything going to work out? And what, what about this? And what about that? And how are we going to pay the bills? And how are we, what about this? And what about that? It's time for the prayer of dedication and consecration. Uh, we surrender to God's will. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 26. Then Jesus came to them in verse 36. And uh, he came to the place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, 
sit down while I go over there to pray. So Jesus is about to be crucified. He knew that he had come into the earth for this purpose. But when he started his ministry, he knew it was some distance away. Now he's standing at death's door. He knows. <laughs> Shortly, Judas is going to come. He's going to betray me. That was no surprise. Jesus knew all of that. God had shown that to him already. And then he knew he was going to be captured. He knew he was going to be tried. He knew he was going to be used and abused. He had read Isaiah chapter 53, where the Messiah's suffering was all spelled out. He knew that was coming his way. And now it's time to pray. And so he took with him, verse 37, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Sorry, I am praying. <laughs> Even to death, he says, Stay here and watch me. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this pass, uh, this, uh, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus knew he was the only Messiah. There was no other in the rings. He knew it was it. But in the pressure, oh, if there's any other way, there was no other way. And he knew it, but in the pressure, it's like, oh God, I can see where I'm headed and I'm not looking forward to this. And uh, in another, in another uh, uh, account, in, in, in Luke's account of this same passage here, he says, Lord, if it is your will, he says, let this pass this cup pass from me. Let somebody else drink from it. Nevertheless, my will, not yours, be done. So there was clearly, oh, nevertheless, not my will, but you will be done. And so there was clearly a wrestling with the will of God. There was clearly a struggling going on. There was a pressure where Jesus for a moment struggled to keep himself submitted to the will of God. And actually, he said in another part that he could have called on 12 legions of angels that would have got him out of there. Jesus didn't have to do this. He came into this earth for this purpose, but he wasn't made to do this. It was his choice. And you know, our path in terms of God's will for our lives, much of it is sort of mapped out. We don't have to do a lot of that stuff. But if we do it, it's going to work out. And if we do, that's the good life. Outside the railway tracks, that's where all the troubles and that's where a whole heap of stuff goes wrong and that's where all the trauma and all the heartache and all the stuff goes down that shouldn't be going down. And I'm not suggesting that everybody that's in the Word of God, that everything is always a bed of roses. There's plenty of challenges along the way, but things will work out. Things will work out. And so Jesus wrestled with the will of God he didn't want to do it, but in the end, because of him staying with the program and praying, and he prayed this deal three times, he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to his disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, what could you not watch with me for one hour? Which lets me know that there's a, a principle in there that if I pray for one hour on any particular issue, sometimes just shooting a quick prayer up, doesn't always, you know, sometimes you've got no time to do anything else, but to stay with a particular issue, with a particular issue, and just stay with that until you get a breakthrough, there's, there's a real truth in that, and we may come back to that at some stage in future sessions. 
Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, you will be done. So in other words, Lord, I, if there's no other way, I'll do it. <laughs> he was the only Messiah. I remember when uh, Lester Sumrall, uh, who's gone to heaven now some years ago, he went to Manila as a young missionary, and God had told him that uh, God was going to use him to shake the city and that revival was going to happen. He didn't know all the ins and outs. He began to talk to other missionaries. Most of them were just so discouraged and so... Uh, so um, had it just maintaining and just struggling for survival. And he says, no, he says, God sent me here to shake this city. A while later, there came a call saying that from, from, um, from the mayor of the city that there was a, a girl in prison that was being tormented by demons to the extent of not just spiritual torment, but she was physically bitten by demon spirits. And in the morning when they got to her again, there was bite marks all over her in places where she couldn't have bitten herself and there was nobody else there. So this girl was being absolutely tormented and he says to her, I want you to go up there and deliver the girl. And Lester Samuel, being who he was, he's sort of quite a gruff sort of a man. He says, no, Lord, I'm not going. Send somebody else. Like, I'm not going. Send somebody else. And he wrestled with God because he knew what it entailed. He knew that there was going to be like a public setting and what if it doesn't work and what if and what if. And anyway, when he said, Lord, send somebody else, God says, I've got nobody else. i got nobody else. Well, 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 well that, that phrase has stuck with me for all of these years, but God says, I've got nobody else. Yeah, but Lord, there's all, of these, all of your kids. Churches are filled with people. God says, I've got nobody else that's willing to do that and that's anointed to do that. And so, friends, sometimes, you know, Many of us are filling slots and doing things not because we are specifically anointed to it, because somebody else hasn't willingly surrendered their life to do that job and that task and that particular ministry. And then sadly, the people who are supposed to do it are standing back and they're the critical ones. They say, oh, you didn't do that very well. Well, we're trying. Doing right this morning? Jesus said, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them and went again, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. And so Jesus prayed this prayer three times. When it comes to the prayer of faith about an issue, we prayed once and once only. The prayer of dedication, we, we can pray it several times on regards to the same issue, and we should pray this often to affirm that we are surrendered to the will of God for our lives and that we're not here to do our thing, we're here to do His thing. Uh, the key phrase and concept in this prayer is, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That's the key phrase in there. And uh, especially if there's major decisions to be made, uh, Jesus, before He... Um, appointed his disciples, he spent all night praying. And he would have just prayed this thing through, Lord, I, I'm thinking of him, and I'm thinking of him, and I, there, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of people to choose from, but I can only choose 12. And through this prayer of dedication, he determined what the will of God was for you know, who the ones were, and he chose them. And uh, that was, if you like, part of that uh, 
prayer of dedication and consecration. Luke chapter four, uh, chapter one, verse thirty-four. Just a couple more scriptures, and then we are done. Here is Mary um, engaged to Joseph, um, and God had determined that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah that was to come into the earth, the mother of the Deliverer that had been promised throughout the Old Testament. Now is the time to bring him forth. The um, Bible says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the earth. And now is the time. It's time to choose a woman. Quite obviously, every woman in Israel wasn't going to be the mother of Jesus. It has to be one. Um, and uh, God saw Mary that she was a good woman. Um, she's about to be married. She's still a virgin. Uh, um, she's a... Uh, God's chosen one uh, for this task of uh, becoming pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit to carry the baby full term and then to give birth and to call his name Jesus, to be, him being the Savior of the world. And uh, when the angel came to Mary and, and, and Gabriel came to her and he says, Hail Mary, you favored one, you blessed one. <laughs> what? Me? <laughs> it's a bit like when, when the angel came to Gideon and Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Oh, what? Me? You know, sometimes you, the lot falls on you as it were and God chooses you and like, oh, I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, by the power of God we can. In our own strength we can't. So anyway, there's a bit of a dialogue going on and in the end, Mary said to the angel, it's like, <laughs> how could this ever be? I haven't even been with a man. <laughs> like you got to be. I haven't been with a man. I'm still a virgin, and uh, and here it is, uh, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, "How will this be, since I'm a virgin?" The angel answered and said, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month." with her who was called barren. So in other words, Mary, cheer up. Uh, let me tell you a testimony about your relative who was barren and was too old and she's pregnant. So if she's pregnant, you know, that, you, know you, you can be pregnant and uh, the power of God can achieve that. And nothing will be impossible with God. And here is the key in verse 38. And Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So in a sense, Mary prayed the prayer of dedication and consecration. I say in a sense, we got the word prayer in, um, in uh, apostrophe because she was talking to an angel and specifically we don't pray to angels. She's talking to him. But in doing so, when she said to the angel of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, she was saying, God, I don't understand it. I'm not even sure if I like this. I'm an unmarried woman. And you're talking, I'm going to be pregnant. And that's not a good situation in Israel in this time. I'm not living in 2012 where, you know, it's, you know stuff just happens and you know, nobody beats anybody up. But, but I'm liable to be stoned for this. And she's wrestling with all of that. She knew it was going to spell trouble down the track and, uh, and everything else, but God had all of that worked out as well. And she, she prayed the prayer of dedication and consecration she accepted God's will for her life, even though she didn't fully understand it nor fully realize its implications. 
And so here in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now, of course, that is the plans that God has determined for our lives, things that are in line with his will rather than contrary to his will. And in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do and he will show you which path to take. And, and, and uh, how do we do that? We do that through the prayer of dedication and consecration. Uh, we should constantly live our lives in a surrendered kind of a way. And whatever it is, is each time, even when the preaching of the word takes place, it's like saying, Lord, you will, not mine. Uh, whatever that is in the area of, you know, sometimes people wrestle with issues. Sometimes people wrestle with issues like tithing, even. Uh, it's God's will for every believer. Some do, some don't. Why is it? Because they haven't prayed the prayer of dedication and surrender. Say, so, so God, I'm just going to put my trust in you. I don't understand all the ins and outs, but I'm just going to do this because you said it's part of your will for my life. So I just surrender, I submit to that, and God works it out. So with that, I've come to the end of everything I was going to share as part of today's session. Two prayers we covered today, the prayer of thanksgiving. Let's be thankful people. Let's be grateful people, expressing our gratitude at all times. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and in terms of prayer, of, uh, of uh, dedication and consecration, it's always living our lives in, in surrenderedness to God. It's even saying to God, Lord, what do you think about this? Um, you know, God's got thoughts about everything. Not everything is always, uh, you know, completely locked down. But God, you know, the Bible talks about laying aside every sin and the weight that so easily besets us. Certain things in our lives are not sins, but they are weights that hold us down and keep us out of the will of God. And the place of blessing is the will of God. Let's bow our heads with that as we close with a word of prayer. Father, we once again, Lord God, we... Thank you, Father, for your word. Your word is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, you've never promised us a bed of roses, but you've promised us, Father, that as we live in accordance with your will, Lord God, that things are going to work out. It's the place of blessing. It's the place of protection. It's the place of peace, Lord, rather than of turmoil. And right now, Father, we once again declare that we submit ourselves and we consecrate ourselves to the will of God for our lives. Lord, we don't understand all the ins and outs, but we say whatever it is, if it's your will, we embrace it, we'll do it, Father. And if we're struggling with it, uh, can't do it in our own strength, we will do it with your strength. Now, thank you, Lord, for every man, every woman, every child in this place. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.